chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. I want to read uh, a few verses beginning at verse number one. Listen, shout out to everybody that's been hanging tough with Lent. Praise God. We got a faithful few left. This is what we're going to do, though. Hey, we got a faithful few left. Somebody like PD, I love Jesus, but I didn't make it. I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And he loves me. His grace is sufficient. But guys, come on. We got one more week. So even if you've fallen off the wagon, I want you to finish Lent strong now. Come on, make Jesus and your pastor promise every day this week, I'm going to finish the Lent devotional. Don't even try to catch up. You're too far. You're too far. Just skip to the last week and just finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Come on, somebody. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie and untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside. Don't miss this. <laughs> outside. Outside in the street tied it's in the street but it's tied at a doorway as they untied it some people standing there asked what are you doing untying that coat they answered as Jesus told them to and the people let them go I want to stop right here and I want to tag a title to this text we're going to talk from this subject in our time together family unattached unbothered and untangled Clap your hands if you're ready for God's word, everybody. So family, on today we are concluding a series of sermons that we've affectionately entitled For the Streets. Somebody say it with some conviction, For the Streets. <laughs> and in this series we've articulated that your presence on this planet is not an accident. It is not a result of some cosmic coincidence. No big firecracker exploded in the atmosphere and orchestrated your existence here on this earth. We believe you have been intentionally and strategically and sovereignly placed on this planet for such a time as this. You were built for purpose, you were called to a purpose, and you were empowered to carry out that purpose. If you believe that already, say yes. yes. However, we've also articulated this true, truth, and that is that your purpose have, has a place. Even though we're called to do some things, we're not called to do all things everywhere. So my purpose has a place, my calling has a context, my avenue has and my assignment has an avenue. And what we have articulated is this, is that, I hope y'all ready for this, and that is the place of your purpose is not just the church. That God uses church to make us into who he has called and created us to be, but we are not made for the church. You're made for the streets. You're not the salt of the church. 
you're the salt of the earth you're not the light of the church come on you're the light of the world am i making sense here guys and 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 and, and it is important and essential that you and i understand that our assignment our appointment and our anointing isn't necessarily for the church it is for the streets and when we say streets we mean society and when i say society i mean society has seven streets there's the religious street the family street, the education street, the wellness street, the arts and media street, the government street, and the business street. And Jesus said, our king has sprinkled us and sowed us like seed into different streets in society because he knows when salt gets on something, it doesn't have to be the majority to make a major impact. Did you hear what I just said? God wants to sprinkle some salt on these streets. We've been called to occupy, to influence these streets for the glory of God. However, our text teaches us something. It teaches us that faithfulness to this assignment of influencing the streets, not just being a critic of culture, but a contributor to it. That in your own way, emulating the miracles that Jesus performed by adding value to other people, helping them improve their condition, and in you helping them improve their condition, it becomes a door for evangelism. Are y'all okay? Because he healed some people before he saved them. Y'all aren't talking to me. So, so here's, the text teaches us something. That, that faithfulness to this assignment to influence the streets requires freedom. Faithfulness requires freedom. And this particular passage that we just read is one that can offer us some insight into this area. This passage exposes us to an experience that that Jesus had that created one of the most significant days on the Christian calendar called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter and it begins the last week of Jesus's life, a week known in the Christian context called Holy Week. So on this day, over 2,023 years ago, Jesus went into Jerusalem to participate in a festival knowing he wouldn't come in back out. He would be falsely accused, wrongly convicted, and sentenced to death by Roman capital punishment, which was crucifixion. But this agonizing experience that Jesus had shows us something, and that is this. Purpose requires that you ride into some situations knowing something's going to die. I'm going to say that one more time. 
that purpose requires you riding into certain situations knowing that something is going to die. It rests on the revelation that some advancement requires elimination. Henry Cloud calls it necessary endings. And if you're not willing to have a necessary ending, you're not able to have a new beginning. And I don't know who this is for, and I'm not trying to be overly emotional right now, but I just sense intuitively that somebody's got some new on them. I sense somebody is sensing I'm getting ready to step into something new. I'm getting, in a, I'm getting ready to walk into something new. I'm getting ready to see something new. I'm getting ready to experience what my eyes hadn't seen and my ears hadn't heard. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Somebody shout new. Yeah, some advancement requires elimination, purpose requires putting some things in the grave. And I came to tell you, if you're gonna step into a new season, you need to know that some friendships will be buried. Some ambitions will be buried. Some desires will be buried. Some expectations will not live. Some preferences will go in the grave. And our challenge in these seasons is trusting that what you gain in resurrection is more than what you lose in crucifixion. And when you get this revelation, you will stop trying to perform CPR on things that purpose has put in the ground. Go ahead and experience the crucifixion so that God can give you a resurrection. You got to let some stuff die. It was good for a season, but you got to let it die. It served its purpose, but you got to let it die. God used it in a mighty way, but you got to let it die. You cannot be guilty of assumption and presumption and assume that God, and, and, and assume that God can be conflated with his, with his source, with his resource. Excuse me. The source is not the resource. And when you think the resource is the source, you'll hold on to a resource that the source not using anymore. Because you're confused, the resource with the source. God's like, I'm blessing you, not it. I'm blessing you, not them. I'm blessing you, not that. And just like I use that and them, I can find another that and them to bless you. This is why you should not allow anybody to emotionally blackmail you and to cause you to think that you can't make it without them, that you can't advance without them, the same God that sent me you. requires you riding into some situations knowing something not going to make it out. Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the celebration of an annual event called the Feast of Passover. Somebody say Passover. Now, don't, I know how y'all are at this service. Uh-huh, at this service in ATL and in New Jersey. I know how y'all are. Don't y'all shout right here. 
I got to finish this message. <laughs> I know y'all. Uh, but one more time. Say Passover. See. <laughs> Say Passover. See, see, some of you may be wondering why there's such bubbling of enthusiasm in the room. But, 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 but Passover was a time of celebration for God's preservation of his people from a plague during the days of Moses in Egypt. In Exodus 12, God instructs Moses to instruct the leaders in Israel to find a lamb without a defect. Slay the innocent lamb. Take the blood from the innocent lamb. Put it on the top of the doorway and on the sides of the doorway. And God says, when that plague comes through that eliminates the firstborn of everything in Egypt, when I see the blood, even if I'm on that street, I'm going to pass over that house. And you may not have had a literal Passover, but everybody in here has had a metaphorical Passover because there's some stuff that was on your street, but it didn't hit your house. I'm trying to find the real people that are honest enough to say there's some stuff that should have happened to me, that I deserve to happen to me. But somehow because of the blood of my innocent lamb, it passed over. And this is why when I come to Change Church, I got to give him a Passover price. Because when I think of the goodness of Jesus, you're not just here because of your persistence. You're here because some stuff passed over. You're not just here because of your power. You're here because some stuff passed over. You're not just here because of your grit. You're here because some stuff passed over. Some of us have no idea what God calls to pass over us this week. The blood from our innocent lamb without defect. Jesus allows us to continually experience Passover. Grace and mercy. Grace, unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace, when God give you what you don't deserve. Mercy, the restraint of judgment. The interruption of the law of sowing and reaping. Yep. Did you catch that? <laughs> Mercy interrupts the law of sowing and reaping. Because there's some stuff you sowed. That you could have reaped. Should have reaped. But mercy steps in. And stands between. Your consequence and your choice. It says... I'm not only going to give you what you don't deserve in grace, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. 
mercy. So God helped Israel by inaugurating, be seated please, by, by inaugurating an annual feast. He said, once a year, I want you to stop everything. And for a week, I want you to remember. Because if you don't remember, the tendency of the heart is to forget. <laughs> you will forget what Passover felt like. You will forget how gracious I've been. You will forget your current predicament will cause you to forget my past performance. Jesus is going in to celebrate Passover. And as he enters Jerusalem, people take palms from the trees and they're waving the palms and they place the palms on the ground in front of him and they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the word Hosanna means save now. I don't even have time to deal with that. <laughs> I don't even have time. The now urgency the now fatigue the now my resilience has ran out <laughs> save save now it is a cry of adoration but also a cry of desperation it is a request for liberation they were asking for liberation freedom from the Roman government. But what they received was not freedom from the external. Oh, gosh. When they were saying, save us now, they weren't saying, save my soul. That's not what they were saying. When they were saying, save us now. See, you need to understand, I want all of us to understand that that their expectation of what Jesus would do was not literally save their soul. Their expectation of the Messiah would be the one to save them and rescue them, lead them in a revolt and in a rebellion that would free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were not free. So they were expecting literal external freedom. They weren't, they weren't expecting someone to come and save them from their sin. They had an old covenant sacrificial system that dealt with their sin. So they were asking for God to set them free from one thing. They wanted freedom from the surface problem. But God wanted them to see that the surface problem is actually the secondary problem. But I'm going to use the surface problem, which is the secondary problem, to, to drive you to me. And then once you get to me, I'm going to ignore the request of dealing with the secondary problem. I'm going to deal with the primary problem. So I'm going to meet your need without answering your request. Did you hear what I just said? Y'all know, okay. Here's an example of that in Mark chapter number, y'all all right? 
Okay, in Mark chapter number two, verse number three, it says some men came bringing Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, I ain't got time to deal with that. I don't have time. Their faith. It didn't say his faith. It said their faith. So it means it's the faith of all five of them, which is corporate faith, or it's the faith of the four of them that were carrying him. That's intercessory faith. I don't have time, but I, I, I want to make sure you got the right people carrying you that are able to believe for you when you can't believe for yourself. I know they will turn up with you, but can they believe for you? I know they'll go on vacation with you, but can they believe with you? Do you have people around you that give you the spiritual support? People that will carry you and dig a hole through a roof to make sure you get able to walk. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I see. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. That's not what they came for. That's not what they came for, Mark. They didn't, they, they didn't go through all of that to get sins forgiven. He couldn't walk. They wanted a physical healing. But Jesus is like, I just allowed the surface problem to get so bad so that you can come to me. Now that I got you, I'm not going to talk about what you want to talk about. We're going to talk about what we need to talk about. I'm not going to fix the thing you want me to fix first. I'm going to fix the thing that needs to be fixed first. Here's the way Augustine put it. He said, God will bypass the prayers of your lips so that he can answer the prayers of your heart. And I want to know, is there anybody in the A, in New Jersey, online, that's willing to praise God for the prayers he did not answer? I brought to you my surface problem. I brought to you the problem that I wanted to be fixed. But what you address was a problem that needed to be fixed. Yeah, they, they wanted external liberation. And Jesus said, Rome is not your greatest problem. It's what you see, it is what irritates you the most, it is what aggravates you the most, and because it is aggravating, it feels urgent. But you know how I know Rome's not your problem. Rome's not your problem because you're still here. I didn't keep you from Rome, but I've been keeping you in Rome. Wait a minute. Did you hear what I just said? There are times where he doesn't keep you from it. But he's keeping you in it. Because some of us, if we honest, we in some stuff right now. Everything is not perfect. All your relationships aren't amazing. All your resources aren't overflowing. But somehow, some way, 
Jesus is keeping us in the midst of it all. Here it is, guys. Can I have five more minutes? I said, can I have five more minutes? Here it is. This, this, this is important. It means he's not just a need meter. He's a need assessor. He said, I assess first. And then based on my, asse my assessment determines my intervention. So the reason I might not be doing what you want me to do is I've assessed your situation and we don't feel the same way about it. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? He said, I assessed the situation and you and I have come to two different conclusions. So I'm doing exactly what needs to be done based on my assessment of the situation. Well, God, you doing nothing. Well, the actions of God are intentional. So that means his actions are never an end unto themselves. They're means unto an end. So whenever he does something, he does something intentionally. So whenever he does nothing, he does nothing intentionally. So when he's doing something, he's doing something. And when he's doing nothing, he's doing something. So we need to praise him when he's doing something. And we need to praise him when he's doing nothing. Because if he's doing nothing, he's doing nothing intentionally. God said, because Jesus knows. He says, if you let me deal with this internal problem, I'm going to create a movement of Christians that's going to turn Rome on his head. I got to go. Y'all did, didn't catch that. He says, you want me to fix what you're going to be able to fix when I fix you. I got to go. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to deal with Rome. The early church dealt with Rome. And Jesus is like, if you will let me do what I'm trying to do in you, then you will be able to fix what you're asking me to fix. I'm going to fix you, you fix wrong. <laughs> Christianity began to spread like a viral movement and Constantine had to bow his knee. He had to issue the edict of Milan declaring Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. This is over 300 years after Jesus died. He said, if you let me fix you. I don't know who this is for, but I felt this prompting. So it may have prophetic implications. I'd rather say it and it's not God and then hold it and it is. Stop fighting what he fixing. Somebody just say, ouch, ouch. Oh my, wait a minute. He says, he said, no, no, I'm, I'm be seated, please. He says, um, I'm, a, I'm not going to deal with the external issue. I'm, I'm going to deal with the internal one. Because I'm the God of liberation. This is why this is important. This is, this is a central theme to the ministry of Jesus. Okay, 
I want you to understand this, guys. This is what we would call in academic circles soteriology, ology, the study of, soteria, salvation. You got to get this part right because some of you have something, but you don't know what you have because people hadn't told you what it is. So many people have a reductionist view of salvation, and you think that only thing salvation does is make you moral and get you to heaven. When salvation is a benefit package that includes regeneration, redemption, sanctification, adoption, all of this is a part of the benefit package. Liberation is in the package. <clears throat> salvation is your compensation. Liberation is a fringe benefit. When Jesus describes his own ministry, he says the spirit of the Lord. Is this boring, y'all? Are y'all okay? The spirit of the Lord is up on me. And then he begins to list what he's anointed for. And he says to set at liberty those that abound. Come on. The, the scripture says, if the son make you free. You are free. It's part of the benefit package. And if the enemy can keep you uninformed about the fact that that's in the package, you can't have faith for what you don't know about. Am I making sense? I said, am I making sense? Y'all sure y'all okay? All right. I was having a, a, a real, I had a real conversation. First lady had a little um, surgery. So She's out, and so we was having a, I was having a real conversation. So we, we've been together since college, so we friends. So she used to hang out with my friends, with us, so we friends. So we, we talk like friends. And so I was having a conversation with her last night, and I was like, um, just some things about church and things I'm sensing and shifting. I was doing some clarifying to our, what's called our vivid vision description here at the church, and I was like, babe, I feel like we got a mission. We want to help as many people as possible live, love, and lead like Jesus. I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate that without being offensive. Right? How I, how, how, how I feel like, okay, our church has been called to produce fruit of a certain type of Christian that's not consistent with the typical Christian in Western culture. So, so I'm trying to figure out how to articulate distinction without being insulting. I'm struggling with this because I was like, I want to make sure our church get that, that there needs to be a representation. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Listen to me. I'm just telling you right now. When it comes to comments and this, that, and the other, People in the world ain't really bothering me. It's people who, who are Christians. Y'all not, yeah. Yeah, like when it comes to like being dogmatic and arrogant and overly opinionated and unable to hold a tongue and inconsistent, like highlighting certain sins and then ignoring their sins. And it's like, 
Okay, you got grace for what you struggle with, but you don't believe that same grace extends to somebody who has a different... I was like, babe, I'm, I'm struggling with that. And I was like, I feel like our mission is clear. I was like, but I feel like we need to clarify our strategy. And like, so how are we going to do that, you know? And then there are these three words I was telling, I wrote down. Presence, Laquan, I know you and this stuff like this. Presence, formation, and mission. Presence meaning... We need to create environments where people have authentic encounters with the presence of God. Right? Not energy, God. Because for some of you, that's the only thing that's going to fix your husband. For some of you, that's the only thing that's going to fix your child. For some of you, that's the only thing that's going to make somebody arrogant and obstinate and unwilling to listen, repentant and apologetic and open. They're going to have to have an encounter. The Apostle Paul heard, tarry I'm out of time. The Apostle Paul heard the gospel preached. He held the coat of the person that was stoning Stephen, and it didn't change him. But on Damascus Road, he has an authentic encounter with the presence of God. And with the, what the word about God didn't do, an encounter with God did. See, some people have Saul tendencies. You're trying to argue with them. You're not going to win. Y'all, you t- you, you're trying to argue them into faith. It's not going to work. Because Paul was Saul because, before he came Paul. And some people that you're talking to, you will never win them with information. I can pick up real quick. Oh, I'm not arguing with you. You got your own set of logic. That don't work. You got to have an encounter. So once you're sick and you get healed, you won't argue. You'll argue with me about healing. But <laughs> so we need presence, but we need formation. And I was like, babe, I want to make sure when I'm preaching, this is what I'm getting to, I want to make sure when I'm preaching, we're not just informing people, but we're forming them. Because spiritual knowledge is not spiritual growth. I don't want you to just pray more or read the Bible more. That's not the goal. That's the strategy. The goal is for my life to be aligned with the ways of Jesus. And, and, what, some, and what some of you are talking about when you come to this church, you're like, it's different. I don't understand. It's di- what, what is it? It's Christian. No, 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 no. I've been to Christian churches. I know. I'm not saying this expression is the only expression. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's so easy to get caught up in knowing more, read more, praying more, that we're not formed. And so we raise up, when we don't do that, we raise up people that like Jesus but aren't like him. Because to be like him, you have to know what he's like. Here's my point. He's a liberator. He sets us free. And this Palm Sunday story reveals to us the power of his liberation. And I know you're probably like, Darius, where you going with this? You're talking about he's a liberator. I didn't see Jesus set anybody free in the text. He said you and me free in the text. No, he didn't. 
I read the text. All that text is talking about is a donkey. Exactly. I got to go. <laughs> the, only, the only thing Jesus set free in the text was a donkey. Right. What does that have to do with you and me? Everything. It was the donkey that Jesus used to carry him to the street. He didn't walk the street. He rode a donkey to the street. Y'all not talking to me. Pastor, what's the donkey? In Jewish nomenclature, you'll see the use of animal metaphors to describe human personalities. Be wise as a serpent, humble as a dove. Animal metaphor, human personality. Beware of wolves in sheep clothing. Animal metaphor, human personality. Don't be unequally yoked. Animal metaphor, human personality. Donkey, ox. The ox is compliant and obedient. The donkey is stubborn and unpredictable. And if you're an ox and you yoke up with a donkey, when the master call you, the donkey's not going to want to come. The Bible says... When Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it says he saddled his donkey and then sacrificed his son because the donkey is a metaphor for the flesh. And you can't sacrifice Isaac if you don't know how to saddle your flesh. And what was tied up was the donkey. You're not bound. Your donkey is. I got to go. Did you hear what I just said? It's your flesh that gets you tied up. It's the donkey that gets us tied up to anger, that gets us tied up to unforgiveness, that gets us tied up to self-destructive habits. And Jesus is saying, I need to set the donkey free. Because your donkey is not going to let you stay on the street I put you on. Because there's going to be some stuff about your street I'm done, Tario, you don't like. And that donkey is going to make you change direction. <laughs> so I need to let Jesus do more than save me. I need to be unattached, unbothered, and untangled. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. Jesus told the disciples, you untie the donkey. And when the one who has current control over your donkey, the enemy, asks what you're doing, you tell him the master. So he says, the demands of the master produce the presence of freedom. He said, I need this donkey free because I need to be able to use it. Because he needed the donkey to take him places. And Jesus needs us to take him places. If he's going to get into arts and entertainment, it's going to be on the backs of some of us. If he's going to get into Weldon Street, it's going to be on the backs of some of us. If he's going to get in the governmental street, it's going to be on the backs of some of us. But your donkey got to be free. Because sometimes our donkey, flesh, has a mind of its own. 
We need to be unattached, untangled, and unbothered. We need to be unattached to assumptions about what my life should be like. You don't get to pick that. And some of you need to move on from the life you thought you wanted. Number two, we need to be unbothered by the opinions of others that suggest infiltration is contamination. You can't change what you don't invade. And some people assume that just because you own a street, this is why we will not make any broad sweeping statements at this church about, we, we, we will, you won't hear me say, all these politicians. Nope, you, you won't hear me say that. Why? Because for 20 years, you know what I've heard? All these preachers. I heard that 20 years. And I'm like, don't put me in all that. Why are you putting me in all that? So it's hypocritical of me to say all these politicians and all these business, all this anything, when for 20 years I know what that feel like. But some people would think just because you own the street that you've adopted the morals and values of the street. You got to be unbothered by their opinions. And number three, we need to be untangled from negative emotions that are triggered by the trauma of our past. I hit this on yesterday. I mentioned this on yesterday. I mean, last week. That sometimes your assignment requires facing things that trigger you. You will go through trauma in your marriage. God will call you to marriage ministry, and then you'll end up ministering to somebody whose situation is a reflective of what you went through. But he's the God that sets free. And I'm praying he sets us free today. Our time is up, but I want to pray a prayer of liberation and benediction over you. As we prepare to leave this place, Unattached, unbothered, untangled. Because Jesus needs me to carry him some places on my street. Now, Father, I pray that the son that sets free sets us free indeed. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would, by your grace, by your mercy, cut the cords that are keeping us bound. Do it, Jesus. Now bless us and keep us. Cause your face of favor to shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Protect us, provide for us, and above all else, grant us peace. This is my prayer for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you next week at the arena. <laughs>